Well, good morning. How was your Valentine's Day? Well, I fell down on the job and didn't do anything for my wife, but we went to an air supply concert last night, an hour and a half of pure love songs <laughs> with, with one of the greatest guitar players that I've ever heard in my life, including Jimi Hendrix. I mean, this guy was so good, and he was just a kid. But uh, so I'm going to be quoting from one of their songs later on, but uh, it just it fired up my heart and romance. I'm telling you, it was awesome. So we're going to talk about love. One of the things that we're going to talk about today, and we're going to talk about knowing for sure that you have eternal life. And by the way, eternal life begins not when you die, but the moment you believe. Jesus said in John, 5, or John 11, 26, he who lives and believes in me shall never die. By the way, for the presenter, I'll go off script every now and then, too, just so you know. So the, the key, the first point that I'm going to make is very simple. The secret to growing deeper with God, closer with each other, and wider as we share the gospel is this. Believe. Jesus said this in John chapter 6. His gospel is the background to his letter. He says to the crowd, just after he fed the 5,000, he said this, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, they were asking, What is the one thing we got to do to please the God of Israel? And this is what Jesus said. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he hath sent. That's the work of God. That's where it starts as, uh, I don't know, I think it was Tim or Glenn who said, uh, you know, our service has to begin with our love for God. And his love for us, John says, we love because he first loved us. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe in the power of love? Nobody would dare to say no. <laughs> I hope not anyway. Well, you know, there's power in human love. We saw this uh, crowd of people go gaga over these love songs. It was, it was kind of syrupy, but it was kind of awesome at the same time. But God's love is a supernatural, infinite, powerful love that can change you from death to life. That's the love of God. It can change you even if you've received Christ from the person whom you are now to the person that God wants you to be. And so that's why I've entitled my message, We're Made New, Not Nice. We're not talking about just jacking up our willpower and trying to do good things in God's name. We're talking about being brand new people who have been supercharged and changed by the love of God. By the way, I have a lot of favorite passages, but this one I've been hammering on lately. It's from John chapter 17. Listen very carefully to verses 22 to 23 and 26. Jesus says, he's praying, he says this, The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that 
the world may know that you sent me. Two reasons for the love of God. Jesus wants the world to know that he was not just a good spiritual teacher or moral teacher, that he was the Son of God. And Jesus says when we become one with the Father and the Son, like Jesus is one with the Father and the Spirit, then the world will know that God sent him. And, Jesus says, have loved them even as you have loved me. Verse 26. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love, listen carefully, let this sink in, the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I have been, I have been uh, habitually saying lately that Jesus loves you, I mean God loves you, the Father loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. The love is equal that goes out to Jesus for eternity, eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. That same love is living in you if you're a follower of Jesus, and God loves you just as much as Jesus. And as Pastor Mike likes to say, let your mind and your heart and your soul marinate in that truth. That's how you grow deeper with God. We love because he first loved us. John says in chapter 4, Do you believe this, that they may be one even as I are one? In a very dark time, this is a, uh, the reason I'm hammering on this passage is that I remembered a very dark time in my life. I was sitting on my couch. I remember uh, almost what clothes I was wearing. And I'm reading this passage. And it just jumped out of the Bible at me. I'd read it a thousand times before. And all of a sudden... It struck me, wow, what is he saying? And it literally, it literally saved me. That encounter with the Word of God helped me stand on my feet again, and it helped me to get well. It was miraculous. And God wants it to be the same with you. Second point, the title of my message, Christians aren't just nice, hopefully we are nice, but they're new. 1 John 5 verse 1a says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God, is born of him. This is a, this is a transformation that is so radical and so deep that the Bible says and Jesus says it brings about a new person. A new creation comes into existence. We think far too lowly of our faith and what happened. If you believe in Jesus, you are a new person than the person that was born into this world the first time. The change is so deep and so radical that Jesus says it qualifies as a second birth that's just as real as the first one. He called it being born again in John 3, 3. Truly, truly, and where Jesus says Truly or truly, truly, he's like swearing an oath in God's presence. It's like, I swear to God, but he didn't have to swear to God because he was God. But he's emphasizing truly, and then to say it again, truly, verily, verily, as the King James used to say, still says. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And the whole point was, I have come so that people can be born a second time. And here's why we need to be new people. It's because of sin in our life. And sin, by the way, is more than the habit that we have of doing the wrong things. Sin also means that we desire and love the wrong things. In fact, it means that first. We do the wrong things because we love other things more than God or other people more than God. And the Holy Spirit comes into the life of the believing person and changes that person so that now they begin to desire God above all else. None other than the Apostle Paul spoke about this. He talked about the power of sin in his life that he couldn't beat it himself. And so in chapter 7, verse 15 of Romans, he says this, I do not understand my own actions, for I do what I do not want to do, and I do the very thing I hate. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And so the new birth changes my heart, so now I want to do what God wants. I want to love God more than anything else. Even though I don't all the time, I do it imperfectly and so do you. But the point is we do it, we do it now where we didn't before, and we do it even though it's imperfect, we do it consistently and persistently. It becomes a new habit in our life. I want to, my next point is like, is this, like father, like children. I was going to say like father, like son, but there's women here too. So, you know, like father, like children. 1 John 5, 1, B, 2, and 3, 2 to 3. And everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we are the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And so Tim asked a very profound theological question several weeks ago. And he just simply said, who's your daddy? And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God in heaven is your father. And his love comes into your life in almost a physical way through the Holy Spirit. So that he loves you, like I said before, just as much as he loves Jesus. And Tim went on to say that we are too often prone to identity amnesia. That means because of the, the sin and the flaws and the failures and the imperfections that still remain, we kind of forget who we are. And we kind of wonder if God isn't up there, you know, as Pastor Mike said a while back, just kind of putting up with us. With a scowl on his face, but he put up with you. No, he loves you to the death. I want to quote to you a song written by Graham Wilson. It's just a phrase from the song of Air Supply. He said, this is written of a human son and his father who died the same day he was born. And so Graham Wilson wrote a song for him. But this is the line I want you to hear. And think of God, your heavenly father, when I read it. I'm the son of the father. He didn't say I'm the son of my father, but the son of the father. And there is no doubt that he is part of me. 
I'm the son of the father and there's no one else on earth that I'd rather be. There's no one like me. That wasn't written from a Christian heart, but it sure applies to what the Bible says about God and his relationship with you and me. You are a son or daughter of the father. You are unique. There's no one else like you. And there should be no one else that you'd rather be. But a child of God. So the, 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 the gospel teaches that all who become followers of Jesus become God's kids. Again, John's gospel is the foundation for this. In chapter one, verses 12 to 13, he said this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, nor the will of man, but of God. Again, the emphasis on the supernatural aspect of what it means to be born again. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, this is off script, but 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. If you are a follower of Jesus, the new creation that's coming, the new heavens and the new earth has already begun in your life. You are a new creation of God. I don't know if you are familiar with a, an artist, musical artist by the name of Lauren Daigle. She is a Christian singer who, who gets her songs played on secular stations. I was in Stater Brothers in Artesia one day and I heard the song playing. And uh, I, I heard it just again a couple of days ago, so I had to add it to my message. It's called You Say. You Say. Every day I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. Then I know what that's like. You say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. You say I'm held when I'm falling short. And when I don't belong, you say I'm yours. And I believe. I believe what you say of me. I believe. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you I find my worth. In you I find my identity. So again, the secret to growing deeper with God is quite simple. Remember who you are and believe it. Let your heart and your soul and your mind marinate in that truth, in that reality. It's not just a, a sentence or a theological statement. It's the reality of the Holy Spirit living in your physical body so that we are caught up into the eternal everlasting love relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are, not only is God in you, you are in God, Jesus said. That's what he prayed, and God answers that prayer by sending the Holy Spirit. And so the reason we forget, like I said before, I don't know about you, but I am so aware 
of how short I fall of what God wants me to be after decades of following Jesus, that I still have that identity amnesia. But I want to share with you a quote that is the best quote I've heard in 2020 so far. This is what it says. You don't have to get better to matter to God. Do you get that? You don't have to get better to matter to God. You matter to him just as you are. Nicole McGahee. I was sitting there when she said that the other day, and I was just enthralled by the gracious words that were coming out of her mouth. I just, I just had to shut up, couldn't say anything. But it's true. You don't need to get better to matter to God. Since Tim went on to say, I'm kind of copying his sermon in a way, but uh, I pray he'll forgive me and you will. But God's kids should bear the family re resemblance. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. He is love so that everything he does, including the exercise of his wrath against sin, is an expression of his love. Pastor Mike made that point. Even the place we call hell is an expression of God's love. To, to, to remove evil from his creation once and for all and forever and that time's coming. So we should bear that family resemblance. Number one, we love our Father. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and Mark says, with all your strength, even with your physical being. Love God. And I can't love God unless he loves me first. But he has loved me first. And so I can love him and put him at the first of my priorities. We love our father's children, as John has said in his letter. A new commandment I give you, that you must love one another. As I have loved you, so also you must love one another. And he gives the world permission to, to determine, to discern whether we are his followers or not, by how well we keep that commandment. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we love God's kids and we love our neighbor. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. And as Pastor Mike pointed out some time ago, we even love our enemies. We love those who have differences with us. We even love those who dislike us. We even love those who dislike us. You've heard that's been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. It's not said in the Bible like that. That's a conclusion people drew from certain passages in the Old Testament. Jesus overturns that interpretation. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Then you'll bear the family resemblance so that you may be the sons and daughters of your father in heaven. So if, there's, if you know people in your life that dislike you, go out of your way this week to be kind to them. And that will prove to the world that you are God's kid. And God's commandments are not burdensome, John says. They come from a loving Heavenly Father. Sin messes up our life because we want the wrong things. God's commandments are commandments to love. 
to love the right things so that we will do the right things. My next point is this. God's kids don't give in to peer pressure. John says, for everyone who has been born of God, so you've had the supernatural rebirth, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What is the world? Well, just to refresh your memory, it's the, it's the pressure that comes, comes from unbelieving, the unbelieving world to love people and things more than God. And it comes in a thousand ways. It can come from your peers who don't believe. It can come from co-workers who don't believe. It can come from fellow students who don't believe. Members of your extended family or even your immediate family who don't believe. The social or mass media and on we could go. And we don't give in to that pressure to love something or someone more than God. Not even our immediate family members, Jesus was so radical to say. In Matthew 14, he said, if you don't, love, if you don't hate your father and your mother, your brother and your sister, your wife and your children, you cannot be my disciple. Now, of course, he doesn't want us to have burning hatred toward people, but he's saying if it comes down to a choice between me and your mom, which it does for many people, you have to choose me. That's overcoming the world. And how we overcome is by our faith. We don't, it's not just by jacking up our willpower, ramping it up, and say, well, I'm going to try real hard to be good. That's what I thought it was in the beginning. We, become, we overcome this enticement, this seduction of the world. It's a seduction to love something else more than God. We overcome it, first of all, progressively, not instantly. You will be working to overcome the world as long as you are on this planet. But I overcome the world by believing in Jesus. When I come to believe in Jesus, I come to know that only God can satisfy. I won't sing it again, but I sang a song some time ago, last time I preached, Never Enough. And basically the point is nothing in this world is ever, ever, ever enough to satisfy the gaping hole that's in our heart that only God can feel. And we overcome the world when we understand that. We overcome the world when we know that we are defined first and foremost by God's love for us displayed in the cross. The most important fact that can be said about a person is that God loves you. That should define you in the deepest core of who you are. I am loved by God. And by the way, that's true whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. God so loved the world, John says, that he, God loved this world that we're supposed to overcome. He loved it so much, he gave his son. If you ever doubt God's love for you because something you've done, thought, or said that's bad, remember the cross. It's the ultimate eternal symbol a historical symbol that God loves you.
Little children, you are from God and have overcome the world. For, who is he, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Again, we don't do this by jacking up our willpower. We know that the Holy Spirit, who is the presence of Jesus in our life, lives inside us. And his voice and his power are stronger than the voice and the seductive power of this world. And the one who guides it, which is the devil himself. You have God living inside you. And because that's true, you live inside the being of God. That's what Jesus prayed for. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, even as we are one. That's the most important factor about your life. My next point, God has testified that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Verses 6 through 9. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three who testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. These three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, they were receiving John's testimony because he was one of the twelve. He was an apostle. He says, if you receive that, the testimony of God is even greater. There's a historical record, an historical event that happened. It's not a myth. It's not something that people made up. It really happened. The testimony of God is greater, the testimony that he is born of his son. So the water refers to his baptism. Well, scholars debate what the water and the blood mean. I think the best interpretation is the one I'm going to give. They believe that the water means the water of his baptism. When the, when the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, Luke says, like a dove, and a voice comes from heaven and says, you are my beloved son. I am delighted with you. You know, the Bible tells us to delight in God. But do you know and do you believe that if you are a follower of Jesus, God delights in you? When you think of delight, what do you think of? Pure joy. That is God's stance toward you. There's a lot of voices that will dispute that in your life. Tell them to shut up. Because God takes delight in you. So, so, so the water says that he was fully God. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. That's saying, you know, he has the Holy Spirit more than anybody else who ever lived ever or who ever will. Because he's equal with God. And then. In John 5, 17 to 18, he he claimed that God was his father. Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. And then John says this comment. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he had healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath day, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so the blood of the crucifixion showed that he was really human. There were false teachers in the church, as 
as Pastor Mike and Tim have pointed out, who are teaching that Jesus was divine and spiritual, but not really human. He just seemed to be human. And how anybody could believe that, I have no idea. But they believed a lot of crazy things in those days. That's one of the mythologies. Because he was fully human, he could take our sins upon himself. Because he was fully God, he could take God's judgment for sin upon himself. Because he was fully human, he could die in our place as our substitute. Because he was sinlessly human, by the power of his divinity, he could take God's judgment and pay the death penalty for sin. I'm going to quote uh, verses 11 through 13, where John sums up his whole reason for writing. So listen very carefully, especially to verse 13. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. It's that simple. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life, period. If you don't, you don't. And so I'm speaking to everybody. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, become one. You can have a brand new life that will last forever. And it'll start the day and the moment and the instant you believe. Maybe you're here and you're not sure because you know you're not perfect yet. And so you wonder, am I really going to make the grade when judgment day comes? So listen to this passage, verse 13. I, this is John's purpose, his whole purpose for writing this letter. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So you can hope so, so you can have wishful thinking for the future, so you can have a hunch that, I, well, I'll, I'll try to be good so I might make it, I might pass. No. So that you may know that you have eternal life. That's that. And we can be sure of having eternal life by understanding God's promise of life, our problem of sin, God's provision for our sin, and our personal response. Promise, problem, provision, personal response. By the way, if you are a believer, this is how you can share the gospel with people. God promises eternal life, abundant life in this life, according to John 10. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The best life possible on planet Earth compared with any and every other alternative. I will give that to you, Jesus says. And then he gave eternal life. For God so loved the world, this is the most well-known biblical passage ever, probably. God so loved the world. And by the way, this applies to you whether you believe in Jesus or not. Because it doesn't say he so loved Jesus' followers. It doesn't say he so loved the church. It says he so loved the world that he gave. His only son, so that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the promise of life. The problem is, 
as you all know, we've sinned. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we need to share with people the promise of life. We need to share with people what keeps us from inheriting that life. And that's our sin. Everybody has it, bar none, except for Jesus. The one exception. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. A gift means a gift is something that's given to you that you don't have to work hard to earn. When someone offers you a gift, you just take it. And that's what God says. It's a gift in Jesus Christ. So promise problem. Jesus is God's provision for our sin. Isaiah prophesied of this in, in ancient times, about 700 years before Jesus. He says this uh, of the suffering servant. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten of God. In fact, what, Paul, what Isaiah is saying is that as the Jewish people, or as, as I myself, the prophet, we thought this guy was being punished by God for his own sin. But then he goes on to say, but surely he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God is perfectly and thoroughly 100 percent purely righteous and just. And he can and will and must take action against sin wherever and whenever and whomever commits it. Period. The good news, that's bad news, but the good news is that he has taken action against human sin by judging it in the person of Jesus Christ at the cross. God poured out, I talked about God's wrath earlier and said it was an expression of his love. God poured out his wrath on Jesus, his son, at the cross. And in doing so, demonstrated his eternal love for mankind, humankind. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every single one of us to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. To that, we need to make a personal response. And if you have done this, you can be 100% absolutely certain. You can have airtight certainty that you will be with God when this life ends, that you are already with God. You are in God. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him or eat with him and he with me. There's the invitation. It basically just means this. Jesus is trying to get your attention. And by the way, this was written to Christian people. It was written to a church. So it applies to you if you're a follower of Jesus, too. We can we can't really shut him out of our life, but functionally we can. When we love other things and other people more than God. 
And Jesus says, this is the risen, exalted, ascended to heaven Jesus saying, listen here. I'm trying to get y'all's attention. But I'm not going to force myself on anyone. But I will stand and patiently knock. And if you open that door, I will come in. So I want to speak to two sets, three sets of people. Number one, you might be a follower of Jesus who's following Jesus with all your heart. This is his message to you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. We say that so often it becomes a cliche, but it's real and it's true. There's nothing truer in the world. So this is for you. You could be here perhaps and you've made a commitment to Christ, but you're not certain that when judgment day comes, you will be with God forever on the new earth with the new heavens with Jesus. If you're not certain now, you can be. John said, I've written these things to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know, know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want anybody to doubt. John didn't want anybody to doubt. Jesus didn't want anybody to doubt. So he's knocking on your door. If you've never received Christ, you've never opened the door and welcomed him in, I urge you to do it today. Pastor Mike would be glad to talk to you about that and explain more what that means, and so would I, and we have elders ready. So please don't let another day go by if you haven't done that already by not doing that. And this is how you invite him in if you never have before. Number one, confess your sin. You admit to God that you're a sinner. Number two, you repent of your sin. You change your mind about it and turn away from it. Number three, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose again from the dead. You invite him to come in through a prayer of faith and you surrender to him as the Lord. In other words, you make him the boss of your life. When my siblings and I were younger, we were constantly saying to each other, you're not the boss of me. Whoever did that, who all has done that? Yeah, everybody. You're not the boss of me. Jesus is the boss of everything. And he wants to be the boss of me. And if you've never received Christ, that's what you need to be willing to say. And here's a prayer. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I want to turn away from my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. I believe that you rule over everything. I want you to rule over me. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart, into my life, through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Make me a brand new person. In your name I pray. Amen. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, you could go home and in the quiet of your bedroom or your closet, do that and Jesus will come into you. I would rather suggest that you do it with someone else so that you have a witness that just strengthens the, the reality of it. My final point is this. I'm finally there. I really am. No, no other points beyond this. Either pray the prayer if you haven't or share the gospel. 
Our, our vision is to grow deeper with God, closer with one another, and wider as we share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. So if you are here and are a believer, share the gospel with people. And if you don't know how to do that, I would be glad to help you learn. I have a 12, I, don't, I didn't write it, but there's a 12-week course that I've gone through with people. And they've learned how to share the gospel. And one person, as soon as she completed it, went out and talked to her boss at work about Jesus. So I invite you to join me. Join me in prayer as we bring this to a close. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, I pray for every person who's here within earshot of my voice that you would give us the faith that we would believe that you love us just as much as you love Jesus and that that voice would drown out all the other voices to the contrary. Help us to consciously fix our mind and heart and soul on that reality that our soul and our spirit may marinate in the love of God. And then we'll be deeper with you when we believe it. And not the false voices, when we believe it, we will grow deeper with you. I pray that for every person here this morning, myself included, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. There's a ton of good stuff in that. Thank you.